Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 today, so you can get your Bibles ready to Mark chapter 5. As you're, as you're doing that, I want to uh, pass along a story. Sometimes uh, pastoral stories are apocryphal. They're not quite, uh, not quite based in reality, but they still tell something that are tr- that's true. But every once in a while, you hit a story that's true and that you just want to share. Um, and this is a story about two American tourists, and they were in uh, London. They were actually near Buckingham Palace, and um, they were taking pictures and trying to see if they could see anyone from the royal family or if they could uh, get to know anyone in the area. And they uh, asked an older woman who was out for a walk if she lived in the area, and she said yes. Uh, and they asked her if, they knew if she knew the queen, <laughs> and she said no, but her friend that she was walking with did. Uh, and these uh, two American tourists went up to the, this woman's uh, friend and started asking questions about the, uh, about the queen and what did, what did he know about her and what was she like and, and so on and so forth. Actually went so far as to taking a photo with this gentleman. Um, and they went on their merry, happy way. Well, what they didn't know is that the gentleman that they talked to was Queen Elizabeth's bodyguard, which made the woman that they asked if she lived in the area none other than Queen Elizabeth II. Now, why do I tell this story? Is it simply to make fun of American tourists? Well, no, that's a benefit. But it makes a point as to we can sometimes not understand someone's identity, even if they're right there in front of us. Um, And so that's true of Jesus as well. And as as today's story, we're going to be looking at the ways that the different characters in this story interact with Jesus and how they either recognize him or don't recognize him and what they do with that information. Um, And it also tells us that Uh, you know, what we believe about someone's identity is also going to change how we interact with them. And how we respond to Jesus is a response to who we believe him to be. We're going to see that in these characters. Just as, without believing that she was the Queen of England, two American tourists went up and asked a silly little question. So let's turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 20. Hear God's word as I share it with you. They, meaning Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, saying, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. 
He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the, the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told all about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks as we come to your word because... You desire to instruct us, you desire to reveal yourself to us, and you desire to be in relationship with us. Remind us of that as we go through your word and show us how we can see you better, how we can see you more clearly, and leave us with a sense of who you are so that we respond in faith and not in rejection. Lord, strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty, but you, God, hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I told you we're going to look at the three characters here, and those three characters are the demons themselves, the townspeople, and the man who had been demon-possessed. And so we're going to start out looking at the demons themselves because they are very, very instructive uh, towards us in terms of understanding who Jesus is and how we respond to Jesus uh, uh, as well. As we come into this, the, the, the demons come right up to Jesus and end up falling at his feet and, and saying right from the beginning, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Immediately prior to this passage, Jesus had been in the boats in uh, the boat, excuse me, with his disciples on uh, the Sea of Galilee. And there, it is the story of how there was a storm, and uh, Jesus calms the storm, and the disciples are afraid. And the question that they ask one verse prior to this story is, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And so as we come into this story, that that question is still ringing large in the scriptures. And that question gets answered not by the confession of a disciple, not by the confession of a faithful Jew, not by the confession of someone who has seen Jesus' power and felt his transformation in his life, but the question gets answered and answered accurately by a demon, more specifically an entire legion of demons, Um, a, a very large number of demons as we see. 
And the answer is, you are Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Many times in particularly traditions like the Reformed tradition, our tradition, uh, we get so caught up on the idea of education that if we just teach people who Jesus is, if they just know who his name is, if we just are able to, to educate someone enough that, that they will come to faith in Jesus. And one of the things that this passage does is it, it disabuses us of that notion. Because here's the thing, the demon correctly identifies who Jesus is and actually implicitly in his question answers what his, knows what his mission is and brings that out too. The demon is, is somewhat challenging Jesus here saying, what do you have to do with me? The, the question in the original is really kind of different, but it has an edge to, you, to it basically saying, why are you here? Because it's not your time yet. The demon knew that Jesus was there to, to put him away, to, to cast him out, to send him into the abyss where he could no longer torment people, but he also knew that it wasn't the time for Jesus to do that yet. There wasn't an appointed time, but, but Jesus hadn't come upon that time yet. And so what he's saying is, Jesus, you're here a bit early. What are you doing? but he correctly identifies who Jesus is and what his mission is. Now think about that. We can know who Jesus is and we can know what his mission is and still, like the demons, outright reject who he is. Because to the demons, Jesus was, was a, a, an oppressive ruler. Jesus was an, was an unjust conqueror who was coming far before his time. They knew who he was, but they rejected him nonetheless. And that's the reality. We need more than just knowledge. The letter of James puts it this way, and I understand that the confirmation class actually had read this last Sunday. But James chapter 2, verses 18 through 19 says... Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James responds, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Think about that. The, the demons even believe that, that there is one God. They know who Jesus is in this passage. So much so that they come running to challenge him by the fact that he is there too early. And the reality for our lives is that it isn't enough to know Jesus as the Son of God. It's not enough. We can still recognize Jesus' identity. We can understand his purpose in the world. And we can still reject him. Again, it, it's almost like one of those things where you look at it and it has to do with your perspective and what you're seeing. To them, again, Jesus is an oppressive ruler. How does that sound in our lives? How does that sound in, in our world? Don't you have to follow all those rules? 
Don't you not get to do what you want with your life? Don't you have to, to act a certain way and be a certain way? And that, That's too much. I want freedom in my life. I want the ability to do what I want. Our world doesn't like, especially, we are a nation of rebels. We were founded on rebellion. Remember that, that, that little bit? But we don't like to be told what to do. What's the easiest way to get a, a kid or an adult to not do something? Tell them to do it. We want to challenge. And so the rules, the life in Christ, which is meant to bring freedom, can be viewed as oppressive. It can be viewed as, as limiting as, as short-changing freedom. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? No, he just said that we couldn't eat from that, we couldn't eat from that one. Oh, child, that's not because it's not good for you. That's because he knows it will make you like him, and he just wants the power for himself. We have been fed that lie from the very beginning. And you know what's funny? We bite and we bite and we bite. And so it's not enough to know who Jesus is. It's not enough to know him as the Son of God. We can still recognize him and reject him. But then there's the townspeople. Let's take a look at them for a minute. The townspeople step in after the pig herders come in and say, uh, we lost the entire herd of pigs. Excuse me? I would come out too. So the pigs were likely the economic heart of that community. We are not in Jewish territory here in the, in the region of the Gerasenes, and so that's why you have pigs entering into the territory. That's also why we can talk about tombs freely and so on and so forth. But this is not a, a Jewish territory, and so this is the economic heart of this community. And so it's much like when I moved to Rock Island and people were talking about when the, the International Harvester plant closed and how, much, how devastating that was to the community. Some of you may remember when some of the steel mills closed. Newcastle residents can tell you when the tin mills closed because it's devastating to the community. And so that's the kind of news that these pig herders are bringing to the, the, the community. Your economic center, your economic core, just ran down the cliff and killed itself. And so they are coming, and they find two things, it's, the scripture says. When they come, it, these uh, people, the townspeople, see two things. When they came to Jesus, verse 15, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. Now, mind you, likely because of the demons, he probably would have had either tattered or lacking clothing. So the fact that he was clothed, clothed was kind of miraculous. But they were afraid of that. They, what? How? That doesn't make sense. We know what he can do. And that they found, and those who had seen it told the people what had happened, and they told 
about the pigs as well. It's at that point when they, when they realize what has happened to their world that they begin to plead with Jesus to leave their area. See, they don't care about his identity. They don't stop to ask who he is. They don't, they don't care that he is Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, as the demons had relayed to them. What they are concerned about is the fact that, the, that this man, whoever he is, one, has the ability to, to calm someone who's demon-possessed and we didn't know what to do with, but two, more importantly, that he was able to overturn their entire way of life. He was able to, to overthrow their entire way of life. That they, he was able to, to, to take away their safety and their security, their economic safety and security. What are we going to do now? How are we going to recover from this? Who holds the insurance policy? Like I said, they don't know who he is. They don't care who they, he is. But they reject him because he is able to upset everything in their life. And they did not sign up for that. Our safety can come through, through our safety comes through what we do and, and the earning we make and the, the pension that we have and the 403B that we build up, the home that we buy and pay off, the, the, the children that, that we raise and, and have hopes for, and the, all those things we, we put ourselves into and we put our safety and security into them so that when they are taken away, we are rocked and we are shattered. And the most telling moments are when those things happen and we don't care who Jesus is. What we care is that our lives were overturned. And that's the only thing that matters. That's the only problem that we see in our lives. The townspeople don't know his identity, but reject him for what he is able to do. Okay? What about the demon-possessed man? What does he have to teach us? The demon-possessed man is, is there in clothing and in his right mind. And in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. The, the demon-possessed man had two things in tandem. One, he understood who Jesus was. Because Jesus says, you aren't going to come with me, but you go and tell how much the Lord has done for you. Now, when Jesus says the Lord, the man in that area would have understood the Lord to be God. And Jesus said, go out and tell how much the Lord has done for you. And in verse 20, in nearly identical phrasing, it says, So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. He understood who Jesus was. He understood that, that Jesus, regardless of title, he was God. He had in, had an encounter with the Divine One. He had an, had an encounter with God Almighty. But he also knew how much Jesus had done for him. He didn't just know his identity, but he had a personal experience of his power. 
and what it could do. Because it, it overturned his entire world too. And he told how much Jesus had done. And he knew the healing power of Jesus. And he accepted him because he was both God and Savior. When we recognize Jesus not just as God but as Savior, the one who does more for us and values us more than we ever thought possible, then we respond to him as he is. You see, the, the, the townspeople had made a value judgment when, when they asked Jesus to go away. They saw two things. They saw the man there in his right mind, healed, and they saw their money leave. And when they saw those two things, they said, I'd rather have the money than the man. I would rather have the safety than the healing. I would rather have the complacency and the certainty rather than the possibility. Because the same power that, that heals and puts together can blow my life away if it's not the way he wants it. And they had valued their safety and their security and their own livelihood over that of the man's. What's the price of a life? What, what's the price of, of a human life? Jesus answers that right here in this, in this passage. He says, if the choice comes down to it, everything. And we see that in small in, in the story of the pigs, but we see that so much more in the, story of Christ, in the story of the cross. Because in the pigs we say, ooh, it's a lot of pigs. It's kind of a gross scene. But in the cross, if we have become too familiar, if we have become too, too comfortable with it, we look at it and say it's a cross. It was a method of execution. It was the lashes. It was the scourging. It was blood and 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 pain that was meant to be ours because of the penalty of sin and he took it on because he said if it comes down between between the lives of those pigs and your life I'm gonna put the lives of the pigs on the line and when it came down between his life and ours he put his down and he answers the question what is your life worth everything it's worth everything. And if we understand that that's the Jesus who stands in front of us, that he is the son of the most high, but he is also willing to put everything down so that we can be made whole again, so that we can be healed of every pain, so that we can be healed of every weakness, that we can be healed of every anxiety and every fear, in everything that we have done wrong, then we begin to respond like the man. Let me go with you wherever you go. How is it that you're responding to Jesus? That response is going to say a lot. 
And I'll tell you that, that there's one response that we haven't looked at, and that's of indifference. And that's probably the worst response. At, at least the, the townspeople and the demons rejected him out. But the most difficult place we can be is in a place of saying, yeah, he's all right. Jesus isn't just all right. E- either he is a, a, the, the God of all creation or he is the oppressive ruler. But he's not kind of some squishy in between. Let's not make that mistake. If, if he came and made these claims and did these actions today, we wouldn't be like, oh, that's such a nice guy. We would have a much deeper response. And that's what we're called to here. What is our response to Jesus? How do we know him? How we respond to Jesus is a response to who we believe him to be. My prayer for you is that he is both God and Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed to us who you are, but you have also revealed to us how much you value us as well. Never let us forget that. In our darkest moments when we question who it is that, w- that we are and whether we have worth, help us to, to remember that you have said, you are my beloved child and I love you. And you are worth to me going to the cross. Lord, thank you for what you have done for us. Help us to to live in response to who you are and what you've done for us. All this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.